Good morning. It's great to be here, and uh, I love that our other campuses are meeting as well in person, and uh, we're meeting online, and, and uh, I'm glad that we are continuing to, to move forward in the midst of this. This is our fourth week in our series called Living Intention, and uh, as, as we started to talk about this series when we first put it together, I started thinking about my friend who, who broke her neck a few years ago on a trampoline and how uh, she just wasn't ready for whatever tension was in those springs, and it sent her kind of out of control and, and off the edge of the, of the uh, trampoline, and she got hurt really bad. And I just thought, isn't that the same thing that happens in our personal lives when we don't manage the tension well in our personal relationships? Somebody uh, kind of maybe gets out of control, and we go off the edge, and, and somebody often gets hurt. And it's not the tension that's bad. The tension is what allows us to jump around on the trampoline, just like it allows us to, to have more fun, to go deeper in our relationships, to go to the next level. It's, it's not the tension that's bad. It's, it's how we handle the tension. And if we're going to take our, our relationships to another level, we have to learn how to live in the tension, how to manage that tension. I also think it's important if we're going to be able to experience more of Jesus and to be able to express what Jesus means to us, how we handle the tension really, really matters. So I, I got in my car, in, in my daughter's car a, f- a few weeks ago, and uh, when we bought the car, it had this little crack in the windshield. And, and the dealer had said, don't worry, he, he gave us a phone number and said, just call this number and somebody will come out and they'll repair that crack for you and it'll, the bill will be on us, we'll take care of that. And so when I got in my daughter's car and I saw that crack still in the windshield, three years later, I had a little tension. <laughs> Some of you are laughing, and I, I know you get this tension. And like, what do you do with that tension? You know, do you, do you say something? Do I say something to my daughter? Do I, do I just go fix it myself, or do I have to let it go? How do we handle that, that kind of tension? Uh, uh, my wife and I had our first fight in, in, a, in a long time uh, recently. And uh, it was over something really stupid, as it usually is. My wife had gotten a response to some request that she had made, and it wasn't the response she wanted. And um, instead of letting it go, I felt I, needed to, had to inter- I had to interject and help her understand why she got the reply she did. I should have learned a long time ago not, not to swing at every pitch, right? But um, I haven't, evidently. And so... Um, we were both tired, we were both, uh, had been a tense day and some things, and, and so I made all of her anger and, and disagreement and disappointment with this other person, I turned it into anger and, and disappointment with me, and, and I tried to help her understand what this response was, and it did nothing good. Uh, I did nothing good with that tension. But see, we can't run or hide from tension. Tension always seems to find us somehow. It just, it just finds us. And I think over the last year, it has probably found us at a higher frequency and maybe even with more intensity than what is normal. I think about, and some of you are nodding your heads, I think about some people, like, like you're now home and both spouses are working from home together. And now you know how your husband or your wife works at work how maybe they talk to other people, or how they procrastinate, or how they waste time, and it's created a sense of tension for you. How many parents are now, maybe who are parenting together with kids, small kids at home, are in the home, and they realize how different their parenting styles are? 
And there's more tension in that all of a sudden. Not just for the parents, but think about those poor kids, right? They're struggling with this tension too. So for some people that you've discovered as you've maybe spent more time at home together, there's a, there's a disparity in your division of labor. Greater than what you thought it was, and there's some tension in that. Or I think about those who maybe are, are surrounded in their life or, or maybe have somebody in their life who's, who's a bit of a control freak. Maybe it's at home, maybe it's at work. Don't be nudging the person next to you right now. But, but you have a control freak in your life, and, and you've discovered, or they, you've realized that they're discovering how powerless they actually are to have control over all areas of life. But as they're discovering this, have you noticed that many of those control freaks are, are trying to control even more? Like trying to, to find something that they control? And has there been more tension in your life as they've maybe tried to get you to think a certain way or believe or behave a certain way just so that they can feel more in control of things. And this stuff creates tension at all times, but, but even more so in the midst of a pandemic. Tension finds us, and it's not the tension that's bad. That's the good news. Tension is not bad. In fact, best-selling author William Landay reminds us of this, he says that the best stories, the best stories ever written are actually driven forward by conflict, tension, and high stakes. And that's just true. You think back just a few weeks ago and we celebrated the Christmas story. And you talk about tension and high stakes. Now here's a young, surprised teenage woman who finds herself pregnant. And the guy she's with, who she's gonna marry, isn't the father of that baby. There's some tension in that story. And then you add to the fact that this baby is going to be somebody very important. It's going to be the savior of the world. There are high stakes, tension and high stakes driving that story forward. Think about Jesus' mission, that he lived out on earth, and then, and then he dies, and he leaves his disciples responsible for carrying on that mission. They have no idea what they're supposed to do or how that, what that's going to look like. Many of them still don't. There's some tension in this. Now, Paul was certainly familiar with tension. And in his first letter to the church in Corinth, he addresses a church that's actually being torn apart by tension. It's resulting from disagreements that they're having about certain religious beliefs and practices. And he begins the letter by, by telling them, listen, you guys have all kinds of knowledge. I'm so thankful for the knowledge that God has given you. Knowledge is a really good thing. But you've got to stop quarreling with each other. And then Paul says this. He writes, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant. I don't owe anybody anything, but I've become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. first thing you got to know is there were all sorts of external pressures 
on the Corinthian church. Uh, they, where they lived, the majority of people worshipped Aphrodite, who was the goddess of pleasure. And the primary way that they worshipped Aphrodite was through the promotion of prostitution and other unsavory types of behaviors. But Paul actually says it's the internal pressures that are killing this church. He says they're fighting about who the best teacher was or who their favorite leader was. Some people wanted to eat some things or do some things that other people in the church said, you can't do that anymore. And Paul says, knock it off. You guys are acting just like the rest of the world with all of your your fighting and the divisions that continue to result from that. And it's taking you away from God's mission for you. You've got to learn how to, how to hold on to this tension if you want to be part of the fulfillment of God's plan for you and for your community. And see, when I read this, I think Paul not only is, is, is sharing with the Corinthians and reminding the Corinthians, but I think he's showing us so, some ways that we can better live in tension and conflict with high stakes that will actually help us move forward and establish better relationships. And so I want to share what I think are, are three principles that are in this short passage that, that Paul gives us. And with them, three questions that can maybe help us enter into tension a little bit better uh, as we experience these, these three principles. And, and so, so here they are. These are three principles, and, and they're, they're not very complicated, as you'll see. It's, it's be with people, accept others, and be a learner. Three principles for living in tension. Be with people, accept others, and be learned. Not complicated, but really, really challenging to live this out. Uh, and they take lots of practice, just like jumping on a trampoline, and we will crash and burn at times, but if we'll keep going and keep working at these things, we can have better relationships. We can move forward to a better story. So looking at these first, be with people. What are we talking about? Be with people. Again, I, I look back to just a few weeks ago, we celebrated Christmas, and what did we celebrate? Celebrated the birth of Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. Our Jesus came to be with us and to show us the way home. He left the comfort of heaven. He, he left his position of, of authority and power. He left that behind. He left the world of, of perfect light and life to enter one of darkness and death. So he could be with us. He became one of us so that we could relate to him. So we could walk and talk with him. And that when we do, we could know that he gets us. He gets us because he's spent time walking in our shoes. And he's still walking with us through his spirit. Now Paul picked up on this. And Paul did the same thing. It wasn't enough for him to just send a message to the Corinthians to just say, hey, God loves you. Paul had to go and be with them. Now keep in mind that a lot of these people were very different than Paul. They had different beliefs. They had different uh, religious practices, different behaviors. They were non-religious. They were loose-living immoralists, Paul said. Think about the tension in that for Paul as he goes to be with these people. And he says he didn't take on their way of life. But he also didn't just hang out with the other people he there, there who he found were just like him, the more meticulous, moralist types of people that he found there. Paul said he became a servant to all of them. 
This is how Jesus and how Paul were with people. Uh, being with people we like may be a better place for some of us to, to start because that seems a little bit more simple than being with people who are a lot different than us until there's tension. So when my wife and I had our fight a little while, a little while ago, the last thing we wanted to do was to be with each other, right? I mean, I didn't want to be with her at that point. She, I know, didn't really want to be with me anymore. And sometimes when the tension gets high enough, we have to kind of separate for a little bit. We have to kind of go back to our corners. We have to take a little time out, get some rest from the situation. But then eventually we have to figure out how are we going to move back together and live in that tension and move forward. So Cindy went to bed that night before me, as she normally does. But after she got ready for bed and she got in bed, she texted me and she just said, hey, I'm sorry and I love you. And you can come in, you can get ready for bed anytime you, you want, and you don't even have to talk to me if you don't feel like it. See, my wife knows that I, when I get emotionally flooded, it's hard for me to have real rational conversations. Sometimes I just need some space. And so my wife was serving me. She was giving me that space, even though that's not what she wanted. That's how she was a servant to me. And my wife is so much better at that than I am. But I know that my wife sometimes needs words to move forward. So after I got ready for bed, I stayed up and I texted her a few words to help her. And that's how I served her so she could read these words. And in the morning, tension had eased and we were able to come back together and we were able to, to be able to restore the relationship. Can there be anything better for restoring our relationships broken apart by tension than to actually serve the person who's the cause of your tension? Is there a better expression of God's love? And looking back on the whole argument thing, uh, the key of this, I realized, was something else, and that the cause of the tension was much deeper, and it was simply that we just weren't very present with each other in those moments. Probably hadn't been very present with each other much that week. And so when we, when we start to action, we're actually distracted by our work. Uh, we're both on our computers. We're actually in separate rooms at the time that we had our conflict. And if I'd have just been more present with her, I'd realize that Cindy didn't need an explanation for why she got the response she did. All she wanted was to have her disappointment validated. I wish I would have stopped before we entering into that, before taking that swing. I wish I would have stopped and just asked myself one important question. I wish I, I, wish I would have known this question at the time. And I'm going to share this question with you, and I hope that it will help you as, as it's helping me now. And that's this, that when there's tension, am I willing and able to be fully present? Or am I distracted? Am I willing to be fully present in the midst of the tension? Or am I going to allow myself to be distracted? And when you think about this, how can we ever expect to be with somebody if we're not fully present, if we're, if we're not paying attention, if we're distracted? And, and yet we do this all the time. Whether we're, it's our phones, whether it's, it's on the, uh, you know, watching Netflix or on the computer, whatever it is, our work, there's tension, and yet we still have these other things going on, and we're not really fully present and available to the other person. In fact, I think this is a good question to ask anytime we go to spend time with people. Am I going to be fully present with this person? 
Or am I going to allow myself to be distracted? But it's especially important to ask ourselves this question when there's tension. Am I willing and able to be fully present or am I distracted? And clearly, I have some work to do on this. So one thing about teaching, you always, God always works out what I need to work on first. Second principle I see in this passage, to live in tension, I think Paul's saying we need to learn how to accept others. And this is how Paul says it. He says uh, he served a wide range of people from these super conservative rule followers to the people where it was like anything goes, like they didn't have any rules for their life. He says, I didn't make their way of life mine. I didn't take that on, but I entered into their world. In other words, he says, I embraced them even when I couldn't embrace their beliefs or their way of life. And he did it on purpose. He did it with the intention of helping them uh, to discover a God-saved life, he says. And I think to do this, I think Paul had to make a decision. The decision wasn't whether he was going to go and be with them, because he had seen Jesus go and be with people who were very different than him. And so as a follower of Jesus, he was going to go do the same thing. I, I think Paul had another question that he had to answer before he could actually go and live into that tension with these people who believed so differently than him and who acted so differently than him. I think he had to ask himself, am I going to be loving or am I going to be judging as I go to be with these people? Am I going to go love them or am I going to go judge them? I mean, there's so much tension just even in the question, isn't there? We know the answer. When we're marked by anything other than love, we're no longer following Jesus. We know that people don't care about anything about us, about what we think, or about our faith if we just go to be judging instead of loving. Loving like Jesus loved is always the right thing to do. Jesus came to be with us, and he accepted us while we were still sinners. This is the good news. Yet it's so much easier to agree with Jesus than to be like Jesus sometimes. In our culture today, uh, uh, sociologists and political scientists, are, well, they'll tell you that, that polarization is this 30-year cultural trend that's showing no signs of slowing down. And, and social media just, just feeds this whole cycle, right? It spoon feeds us uh, all of the information and, and, the, and the perspectives that we want to hear, and, and it herds us into groups of people who are just like us, who share our, pers- our perspective and separates us from people who are different than us, and people who maybe could share a different perspective with us. And we love it, or we like it, or we laugh at it, whatever the emoji is. And, and there's nothing wrong with having a group or a tribe of people that we like and that, that we do life with. Uh, I love some of my tribes that I have, my, my family, Orchard Hill Church, Hawkeye Nation. Uh, we all have these tribes that it's fun to be a part of. But see, there's a shadow side to this. And many sociologists call it tribalism. Most isms are not good, and this is not a good ism. And they, some of them actually say that the church is feeding tribalism. See, tribalism happens when a group starts to feel superior 
to other groups of people. And then outsiders are seen as a threat. And then out of fear or jealousy or anger, the insiders start to intimidate or bully or scapegoat the outsiders. We don't ever see anything like that, do we? Never in our culture. Right? See, Paul saw tribalism happening in the church in Corinth, and he called it out. He said, some of you think that Peter is the best leader, and some think that I am, and others of you will listen only to Apollos. Stop it. Again, you're acting like the rest of the world, and you're creating these factions, and it's destroying the church. And it will destroy you if you don't learn to better handle this tension. Remember, Jesus is our leader. Jesus is our leader. And to follow him, we need to love a lot more and judge a lot less, both inside and outside of the church, especially with those people we don't agree with or people who don't know Jesus yet. What are we modeling for our kids for our friends, for our neighbors, when there's tension in relationships, are we loving or are we judging? Because only one of those responses actually captures people's hearts. And you look around the world, I think so many of the places where people can come together and they can share uh, different ideas and experiences and worldviews are, are just disappearing. That used to be the church. And I'm so thankful and proud of who Orchard Hill Church is and who Orchard Hill strives to be because we're a big tent church, which means that we have people who lean to the left and people who lean to the right, people who stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. And we go to hard places when we can to be with people and we learn from these people and we're loved by these people and, and we try to love them well in return. And we've had a lot of difficult conversations in our own church here. Sometimes it's over lesser matters, like music style, worship style, or music volume, or how we use our space. And sometimes it's more serious issues like racial injustice, or politics, or gender, and sexuality. And there's a lot more challenging conversations ahead of us. And see, some people have left because they thought Orchard was too conservative, and other people have left because they thought Orchard Hill Church wasn't conservative enough. And some people are just waiting to see what happens next. And I just think places like Orchard, I'm convinced, are becoming more rare, but also more essential and more valuable. And so when you come to Orchard, I want to say, expect that there might be a little bit of tension and ask yourself, am I willing to be loving or am I going to be judging of others? Am I going to accept others who maybe believe differently or think differently than I do? I'm thankful for the leaders who have gone before us, who have shown us how to love well in the midst of disagreement and tension. And I hope and I'm thankful for the leaders who are committed to do the same moving forward. Okay, so those first two principles, be with people and accept others. And then the third principle this morning I want to share is, is Paul says, I think, we need to be learners. Be a learner. Paul says he not only entered the world of others, 
but he tried to experience things from their point of view. And one of the things you gotta know is that just before this section of the letter, Paul is talking again to the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, you guys have amazing knowledge. I'm so thankful. You guys are so knowledgeable in these gifts. And, it's, and knowledge is such a gift, but you gotta remember that knowledge has a tendency to puff up. Knowledge puffs up, he says, but love, love builds up. And he says, anyone who thinks that they know something probably doesn't know it like they ought to. In other words, I think Paul is saying, don't be a know-it-all. Nobody likes a know-it-all. It's so hard for me to sit on knowledge or be curious when I think that I have the answers, when I think that I really know something, or when I disagree with something you believe or, or some way you're behaving. And the more personal it is, or the more it's connected to a core value or a deep conviction, the harder it is for me to sit on that knowledge. And this happens to us every day, whether it's with our, our families at home or at work or even in the roundabouts. <laughs> I've seen everything in those roundabouts from people not yielding to people yielding who shouldn't be yielding to people driving the wrong direction. And I got there, I got to the one over here by Cause Square the other day, and there was someone in front of me who just wouldn't go. And the cars are piling up, and, and finally I, I tapped the horn, and I think I maybe even shrugged my shoulders like, are you ever going to go? I, see, I grew up traveling east because my mom had a sister out east, and, and I grew up learning the roundabouts. They're called rotaries out there. And so I drove on these when I was 16, 17, 18. I don't know, you know, I was young. So I, I had some knowledge from a very young age about roundabouts. And I just figured this person in front of me needed some of my knowledge. <laughs> but as soon as I beat the horn, they looked up in the rearview mirror and I recognized their face. <laughs> New knowledge, right? And I was like, oh, like that should even matter how I behave. But just think if there would have been other knowledge I would have had. Like maybe this person had just recently been in an accident and they were traumatized. They were scared to death to be on the road. Or maybe they had really precious cargo. Like how may, maybe that would have that changed how I was behaving. See, there's a question I need to learn to ask myself when there's tension like this or when I think that I, that I know it all. One is like, like, like is there something I, I don't know that I think I know? But am I open to learning something new? Am I open to, to learning or being changed? Is there room in me to grow? See, this is, this is fundamental. Being a learner is fundamental to developing empathy. And empathy is the foundation for connecting with others. And when we're living in tension, it's so much more critical that we make a connection than to make a point. That's what Andy Stanley says. It's more important to make a connection than to make a point. And yet, when I experience tension, it's so easy to gravitate to what I know. Because if I can share with you what I know, and if it's more than what you know, then I can start to maybe feel a little bit good about myself, maybe even superior. Maybe it, it puffs me up, and that feels kind of good until I start honking and shrugging my shoulders. Ain't nobody got time for that. Learning, on the other hand, leads to empathy and connection. You know, I, 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 I've noticed that most of the time when somebody's struggling with something, like they don't really necessarily need more knowledge. And, and when I share more knowledge, it doesn't usually change necessarily their perspective, and it certainly rarely, if ever, never 
changes their life. It's never life-changing to share what I know with people who disagree with me. I think what most people need is for somebody to be with them, for somebody to accept them, and for somebody to be willing to learn from them, help them even learn from themselves a little bit. So what would it look like for us to live in tension with a commitment to becoming learners? The commitment first to maybe go be with people and to accept them, to love instead of judge, and then to be learners so that we can develop a connection, and maybe develop some empathy that unleashes a love that builds up and drives us forward to better relationships and a better story. Would you pray with me? God, as I, as I started to share this, I, I said these are not complex, complicated ideas or steps, and yet they are so hard, I know for me personally, to live out when there's tension. And so um, I just ask, Lord, that your spirit would work in us, Lord, to help us know how to, how to live into the tension, how to apply some of these principles, how to ask some of these questions when we're experiencing hard things or when we're butting up against people who we disagree with, uh, maybe who we desperately want to lead into a God-saved life even, that we might be able to trust you that you are at work. And then to be able to just work like Paul to serve people that we're with. Not worry that we have to change everybody, but we can accept them, we can love them. To know that, Lord, they'll figure out what we believe if they spend time with us. And that maybe in doing this, we can learn something about ourselves, learn something more about you. And Lord, you could lead us to better relationships and to a better story. It's in your name we pray. Amen.